Hi, everybody. Welcome to Rachel's Reviews. This is the Hidden Gems podcast where each week we talk about one of the streaming services and we dive a little bit deeper and give you some movie recommendations that you can watch on that streaming service that are a little bit more interesting maybe than the obvious choices. So it's going to be fun. And today we are talking about HBO Max. This is our fourth episode that we've done on HBO Max. And I'm film critic Rachel Wagner and Ryan is here. Hey Rachel, so great to be with you once again, and uh, I've just been I've just been having a lot of fun as of lately, you know, on ah. my channel and just with with you. I mean, as always, uh, we we had fun recording with uh, Jennifer Chandler last night, uh, doing our uh, doing the winter movie preview. But I'm sure you'll touch yeah. on that. And so yeah, I'm just uh, everything's coming up roses and daffodils for me. But wow. I mean. I know that we still live in troubled times, so I'm just trying to keep that in, into into some perspective because I know that I'm one of the lucky ones. So I just try to remain grateful and keep a steady head on my shoulders. Well, I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah, we had so much fun last night. It'll have actually had, by the time this airs, it will have already aired on Homework's podcast, the uh, other network's Christmas preview that we recorded. And I'll put a link in the description if people want to go and listen to that. It was pretty fun. It's our final preview over there on Homework's podcast. Uh, we uh, we do the, we did the lifetime preview. We did home Hallmark channel hallmark movies and mysteries preview and up channel preview and then finally everything else just a grab bag and uh, so that was a, it was a lot of a lot of fun i like doing those previews they're they're a little bit more relaxed and just kind of being silly uh and uh, they're a lot of fun to do so check that out and i uh, hope y'all are getting ready to have a fun halloween and it's interesting because we kind of planned this out uh, to talk about the the new witches today but i feel like by the time friday comes that movie was already like old hat you know like it's already played out i don't know but nevertheless we're still going to talk about it yeah uh, it's the latest adaptation of the roll doll novel and uh, some might call it a remake it's not technically a remake nevertheless it feels like a remake <laughs> um and uh, so did you get a chance to watch this new version uh i did and i'm i kind of feel similar to you it was just okay i'm not overly mm. familiar with the original so i went into this a little blind but i i uh i i'm a fan of a lot of the people involved you know robert zemeckis i mean we all know who he is back to the future castaway contact mm -hmm. i mean his resume speaks for itself uh and hathaway has been good in a lot of the movies she's been in uh Octavia Spencer is good in most of the things she's in but um I don't know I, I think it's strange with Robert Zemeckis movies it's he's so obsessed with doing like the next big thing that I think he left a lot of his story chops like behind like mm -hmm. maybe, maybe when he when he and Bob Gale stopped writing the screenplays together but I don't know maybe that's me putting yeah. on my tinfoil hat well, I feel like there's this group of directors that have really struggled to sort of transition into the digital uh, special effects, visual effects, uh, kind of new wave of blockbuster films. Uh, I feel like people like Tim Burton, uh, Robert Zemeckis, Chris Columbus, uh, and uh, Rob Reiner um, would be people that 
for the most part, have struggled in the last 20 years to kind of figure out new successful blockbusters. And most of theirs have been mixed to negative uh, with, you know, with diff- with uh, exceptions, of course. But, and even maybe a little bit, even you could even maybe talk about that just a little bit with Spielberg, I would say. I mean, he's had his hits and misses over the last uh, 20 years, uh, but it's not like surefire thing like it used to be. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, and I think Zemeckis is definitely in that camp uh, that, I don't know, he just, the, he loves the digital effects and I've even defended his motion capture animated films. I like them more than most, I think, but he just is so excited about things looking really realistic that he kind of, I don't know, the, 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 like the whimsy of, of his films when he was at his heyday, it's just kind of lost and it's not the same as it used to be and maybe that's not fair to hold them to that but i don't know i just miss that and the sort of the creativity in someone like him or burton is just not the same would you agree yeah i, yeah, I absolutely agree uh, one of my favorite uh one of my favorite i guess movie youtubers uh, i guess it's what we're calling ourselves nowadays is a guy named patrick h willems i think he makes very excellent video essays He's actually made, he actually made a two-part essay on Coppola that was excellent. But earlier this year, he made a video on Robert Zemeckis and just charting like Robert Zemeckis' whole career from like, I want to hold your hand and back to the future and just his really promising early days. And then the 80s where he just exploded and then the 90s where he somehow got even bigger and then he hit the 2000s and he directed the Polar Express, which I don't hate, but it's just, it's just a weird looking movie. That's all I'm saying. He made Beowulf, which, wow, that movie was just a whole bunch of choices. And yeah. then he made A Christmas Carol for Disney, which was just okay. Mm-hmm. And now it's like he's trying to, he's trying to integrate the mocap thing with like the stuff he did from the 90s and mm-hmm. it I don't think it's really working out for him I mean welcome to Marwin it was like that was just a very it's a weird flex for Robert Zemeckis like yeah. I like and, and I like I like some of his movies like The Walk I think that one is not bad I maybe that's because I'm a big Joseph Gordon-Levitt fan but I mean when I was watching Welcome to Marwin, I was just sitting there like, okay, this is an attempt to tell a very serious story. Why are there dolls involved in this? And I get it, you know, the, the whole story was about the guy trying to find himself through, the, through his dolls and his art installation. I get that. But it was a weird direction to go and go from this very serious moment directly into like something out of like, it's like, I don't know. It was just really bizarre, but yeah. Zemeckis has just been lost for a very long time. And like, we're not getting like the nineties, Robert Zemeckis back yeah. ever again. Yeah. And that's the case here with the witches. I, t- I did go fresh on it, but just barely, I think that it's fine for kids. If you're looking for sort of uh, I don't know, a fun enough experience, they'll enjoy it. But I don't know. I mean, I felt like almost everything that was scary about the original film uh, isn't scary here. 
uh, it's kind of explained and that makes it less scary. And, uh, and also I felt like it took them forever to get to the mice uh, and uh, to get to that scene. And whereas the sort of the mystery and the suspense is in the original film. And I actually did watch that and then immediately watched this right after I rewatched it. And uh, so I had the direct comparison back and forth and the in the intrigue and the suspense and the mystery all happen right away with the original and here you're waiting 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 um and they do just some interesting stuff like dealing with his grief and him not wanting to eat and and octavia spencer is great and i and i thought that worked and i i thought that anne hathaway was having a lot of fun i enjoyed her performance and it was just enough for me i give it a 5.5 out of 10 so it's like barely (laughs) barely over uh, and I've even kind of gone back and forth but but I think if you're not attached to the original you can watch this and it's fu- and it's it's fine but it's certainly nothing it's very forgettable you're not going to remember this in a couple I mean people have already forgotten it and it just came out <laughs> yeah literally yeah <laughs> anyway so that's our little review of the witches if you have seen the witches and you want to comment about it please do so in the comments section let us know your thoughts i'll put a link to my review if you are interested in reading it so let's move on to our picks for this week so again we're talking about hbo max and uh and so we are doing our we're doing five picks that are deeper cuts is the idea and so what is your first pick so my first pick is, uh, this was originally released as two separate movies, but they're broken up in, but it's one movie broken up into two parts. Don't ask me why, that was just how it was packaged. However, in subsequent, in subsequent years on physical media, it has been brought into one deluxe edition. However, this is presented in two parts on HBO Max, so I had to run it by you, Rachel, just to make sure if this counted as two entries or one. And thankfully you cleared that it was one. Uh, It's Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, This is an animated version of one of the greatest Batman stories ever written. It was written by Frank Miller, uh, who is very controversial to say the least, but back in the early to mid 1980s, basically brought the comic industry out of the dark ages by reimagining Uh, characters like Daredevil and, well, Batman. And he also created his original stuff like 300 and Sin City, which is all excellent. Um, In this movie, though, uh, it tells the story of Bruce Wayne, who is not like super old, but he's in his 60s. He's retired from Batman now. And not like, oh, he's been retired for a year. No, he's been retired for like a solid decade. And And by that point... Gotham has pretty much moved on. Uh, Commissioner Gordon's about to retire, uh, and any semblance of the rogues gallery of Batman villains have either turned for the better, like in the case of Two-Face, voiced by Wade Williams, or are in a sanitarium like the Joker is, voiced by Michael Emerson of, uh, of Person of Interest fame on CBS. But 
Soon, a new group of criminals called the mutants starts to arise, and Bruce Wayne's like, well, I gotta do this one more time. And so the entire movie is essentially him taking down the mutants, and then having one final battle with Superman, and then one final battle with the Joker. Uh, when I saw this movie, it I had to watch, I watched part one, and I was just like, where's part two? Like, I was, I was hooked. And so... I've since gotten the deluxe edition and I've been able to watch the entire nearly two and a half hour version. And it's, it's really, really, really good. It's one of the better DC animated universe movies ever made, which can be a bit of a coin flip. Uh, Batman in this is voiced by Peter Weller of RoboCop fame. You're coming with me. And he is absolutely excellent in this. Uh, like I said, Michael Emerson voices the Joker. He's not exactly Mark Hamill, but he does his job admirably and does it very well. Uh, there's a lot of violence in this movie. I'm not saying like this is a bloodbath, but especially in the Batman versus Superman battle, I was actually just recently rewatching this and I was saying to myself, oh my God, this is what the battle in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice should have been. And I don't hate that movie. I defend that movie slightly, but still the argument still stands. And with and very similar to Frank Miller's work, this movie confronts Batman's mortality because the movie presents doesn't present him as 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 like well, for lack of a better term, Superman. He presents him as a bitter old man who is like, all right, I got to do this one more time, and and basically burns all the bridges behind him. I, I won't go any further from that, but if you all just need a primer, watch the. Batman v Superman fight. It's all on YouTube and it will hook you in deep. Great. That sounds really, really good. Uh, so, all right. Well, my next, my, so my first pick is uh, a Studio Ghibli film. It's in the Studio Ghibli section. It's actually Miyazaki's first official film uh, for Studio Ghibli. And, uh, and it is called Castle in the Sky. And uh, this is his, I believe, second or third third film in total, first for Studio Ghibli. And I think it's one that gets overlooked even by Studio Ghibli fans, even by anime fans. Uh, it can get overlooked uh, compared to uh, your Spirited Ways and uh, you know Nausicaa, Totoro, all those others. Uh, that this gets kind of overlooked, but it's really fun. It shouldn't get overlooked. And if you watch it, you can see its influence on so many different films. Uh, even I, I wouldn't be surprised if the design of K2SO and Rogue One was influenced by this movie. The robot in here looks very similar. Of course, this was, you know, this was 1989, so it was way before, but it looks very similar to KTS, K2SO from Rogue One. And, uh, and also, if you look at Atlantis, The Lost Empire, very similar, except for this is better in almost every way, but very similar. Even the color of the uh, kind of magic light or whatever <laughs> is, is basically the same. And it's about these two orphans that end up uh, in this kind of hunt to find this uh, mag magical floating city called Laputa. And... Uh, they, uh, they, there's these, uh, there's these pirates, flying pirates that they could kind of become involved in, and there's lots of action and adventure and 
mysticism and it's just really fun this movie is a blast it is so beautiful to watch uh, it has the incredible sound uh, mixing that you get with any studio ghibli film all the flying sequences are so great I, uh, I, I really like it. It has the beautiful music from Joe Hisashi. I, I love, I love it. I think it's wonderful. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. You can watch it on HBO Max. Yeah, I definitely have not seen this one. And this is one, and Studio Ghibli is one of those studios that I have a depressing uh, lack of knowledge of. I've seen Spirited Away, and I absolutely loved it. And I and I saw Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind at my local theater, and I was blown away. And I also saw Grave of the Fireflies, which, mm. wow, that movie Ooh, just, cool. yeah, cried myself to sleep after that one. <laughs> by, by God, but that's the only one not on HBO Max. This yeah, is. that I was I was thinking to myself, like every one of Ghibli's output is on HBO Max except for one and I couldn't yeah. think about it and then you said Grave of the Fireflies I'm like that's the one and I was yeah. thinking it was Tales of Earthsea but that's one's on there too but I'm thinking of doing like a series on my channel where I I watch all the Studio Ghibli ones and like do an I finally saw it on them but that's but that I, I'm looking for an excuse to watch these movies because I've always wanted to and I never have just for lack of exposure. Well, I'll look forward to that if you do it. But uh, but what's your next pick? So my next pick is from 20 is from 2011. And it is a movie called Life As We Know It. Uh, this stars Josh Duhamel or it's Duhamel, right? I think so. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll just run so. with it. It stars Josh Duhamel and Katherine Heigl, and they play these two people who go out on one date, and they absolutely hate it. The only reason that they actually know each other is because they're friends with two people that are married, and they end up being godparents to their child. However, both of their mutual friends die in a car accident, and, and in their will and testament, Josh Duhamel and Katherine Heigl are left with their child. They want nothing to do with each other, but for the sake of honoring their friend's memory, they essentially become surrogate parents for their one year for their friend's one-year-old daughter. Uh, this is a very formulaic movie, and it has a lot of the like the standard jokes when it comes to two strangers now all of a sudden have a baby and. I'm sure you all are thinking of, of them in your head as I'm saying this, but what this movie lacks in originality makes up for in heart. Uh, this movie was directed by Greg Berlanti, who was who is the main creative force behind all the DC shows on the CW and also directed Love, Simon, which has just gotten better for me as I've thought about it. And he creates a really a really heartwarming movie. Uh, there's this one scene where the two end up, where Duhamel and Heigl end up having a fight and then they end up going their separate ways and they they cool off and then they go back. And then they find this old home movie of when their friends brought, brought their daughter home for the first time. And the baby's room had just been painted and it smelled like paint fumes and the woman, and, and, and the mom was just throwing a fit. It was like, it smells like paint fumes. What are you doing? And the dad was like, I wanted to paint it now. I wanted it to be a surprise. And it doesn't really go all that well. And, and, they're, and they're laughing at that and saying like, hey, these 
our perfect friends weren't so perfect at being parents. And so it was a nice like perspective moment, at, at least for me. Uh, I'll, I'll, like I said, it is, it's very straightforward. You know exactly what's going to happen, but the chemistry between Duhamel and Heigl is really good. And overall, I really did enjoy this movie. Mm -hmm. I was really happy to see this on your list because I enjoy it. It's it's maybe a little bit kind of like a feature film Hallmark movie a little bit uh, in just sort of the the comforting kind of beats it 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 hits and the chemistry and the type of romance story and I'm I'm here for it. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I always love a good a uh, busybody matchmaker from beyond the grave kind of thing. I mean, I think people should be as intrusive in their wills as humanly possible <laughs> in their friends' lives. I think that's a good good plan. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I like this one too. I think it's very sweet. So uh, it, it's uh, I was glad to see it on your list. Uh, so. All right. Well, my next pick is documentary and it's called Bright Lights. And this is a documentary about Carrie Fisher and her mom, Debbie Reynolds. And it was released like two weeks or three weeks or something like that after they passed away. I mean, just by chance, because it was cr like, it's so um, crazy, really, because, uh, you know, that uh carrie fisher passed away uh just five days before her mother passed away um and uh knew and there's something kind of poetic about that when they both were so close and it's such a tight relationship and you get to see them both talk about their careers and their lives in this documentary and there's a lot of funny things like it shows Carrie going off to a Comic-Con and her talking about how like basically like doing the photo ops is kind of like giving the, the, the fans a lap dance, she calls it, this is her lap dance. And I had to laugh because I've done one of those photos with Carrie, so it made me laugh. Um, and uh just delightful and you know you gotta love both these performers they're two of the best ever and the things that they went through and the things they learned from and uh it's not like trying to be super like hard-hitting or whatever it's just trying to talk about these women uh and their relationship uh in their lives and uh, so if you you know like that kind of thing then i think you'll enjoy it yeah, every time I think about about the fact that Carrie Fisher is the daughter of Debbie Reynolds from Singing in the Rain, it just is like, that can't be possible because mm -hmm. it's like the two are like completely different people in terms of personalities. I, I mean, at least from the movies I've seen from them and Debbie Reynolds is, you know, the bubbly one who's very headstrong and Carrie Fisher's like the gritty type and mm -hmm. it, it just... it. It doesn't compute for me, but every time I'm like, nope, they're mother and daughter. And yes, I remember when I was actually walking around my neighborhood doing my nightly walk. And I remember hearing that news and I was just like, wow, if that isn't poetic, then I just don't know what is. It's mm -hmm. it's a sad poem, but it's a poem nonetheless. Yeah. So you, I think, will really like this this documentary. It's it's really, and I think Star Wars fans will really, will really get a kick out of it. So uh, what's your next pick? So my next pick is 
I technically saw this movie in 2017, but it was released in late 2016. So I'll just say 2016. Uh, it's a monster calls. Uh, this was directed by J.A. Bayona a year before he, or actually two years before he absolutely destroyed my hope of seeing a good Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> but thankfully, this movie proves that he actually knows what he's doing. Uh, it tells the story of a young boy who is who is the son of two relatively young parents. One of them is played by Felicity Jones. The other is played by Toby Kebbell. Uh, the father is no longer in the picture. He appears off sometimes just to make a couple appearances, but he is persona non grata. And the mom has a terminal illness and she is going to die. And so the, and so the young boy ends up moving in with his grandmother played by Sigourney Weaver. And while all this is going on, he is dealing with the fact that his mom is going to die by venting his frustrations at a rather large monster voiced by Liam Neeson. Uh, this is not a monster movie. It's, it's, a very, it's a very thoughtful movie about how a, how a young boy like this would deal with just the horrible situation that he has been thrown into because his mom is going to die, his dad really doesn't care about him, and his grandmother tries to show that she cares, but she has her own life to live. And not to mention the fact that he's also bullied at school, being the boy. And so he real any outlet that he has is just yelling and talking to this monster and just how he deals with this really terrible situation. It's really masterfully done stuff. Uh, the young boy is played by Louis McDougall, who is a definite step up from when he was in that movie, Pam. Oh God, that movie's so bad. Like pirates singing Nirvana, like what were they thinking? But anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, Liam Neeson is of course excellent. I mean, he's Liam Neeson. Whenever you need someone to play someone big and booming, you call Liam Neeson. Uh, Felicity Jones, uh, just coming off of Rogue One is excellent in this and she absolutely there are some scenes where I was on the verge of tears because her relationship with her son is just like, I was just like, I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man. <laughs> and so I, I got to remember to keep it together. But this movie was sadly, sadly and criminally underseen by people. And so I think, I think everybody needs to see it because mm -hmm. it's similar to the movie of Where the Wild Things Are directed by Spike Jones in terms of a boy dealing with new and complex feelings that he's never experienced before, but he has to work out pretty much on his own. Yeah, and I think that uh, it does a really good job uh, of talking about uh, mental health and, and this child and what he's going through and getting you to feel empathy for him. I mean, it definitely lays things on very thick. And so if you're not kind of ready for that kind of experience, then it might turn you off a little bit, but I, I liked it. I thought it was really good. And so I definitely would also recommend it. So, uh, so my next pick is one of my favorite movies of this year, which just out of HBO max, which is very exciting. It might be my favorite go back and forth. But one of my favorites is the new version of Emma. And now it's available on HBO Max. So if you missed it, it kind of was right at that. It was released just a couple of weeks, uh, three or four weeks before everything was closed down. And it'll probably be the only movie I'll see in three times in theaters this uh, 
uh, this year. <laughs> I took my mom. I took one of my friends. I saw it. And so, yeah, I saw it three times in the theater before, obviously, before the close down. And uh, I love Jane Austen. I love Jane Austen adaptations. And over on Hallmarkies podcast, I'll put a link down. We, me and my friend did a special bonus episode where we compared seven different versions. Uh, I think it was seven of Emma, including Clueless. Uh, and the new version uh, and it was really fun it was one of our su- most successful episodes that we've done and so I I love the story and uh, I love the character of Emma and I thought this was really well done it, t- it took enough risk it did enough new things for it to feel fresh and exciting without showing like being disrespectful to the source material uh, and I loved Mr. Knightley in this. I thought he was so charming and and great. And I I thought that uh, that uh, I can't think of her name all of a sudden. Anya Taylor Joy. Yes, uh, I thought Anya Taylor Joy did a really good job as Emma. And I loved the uh, the uh, girl who played Harriet Mia Goff. She did a great job. Definitely my favorite Harriet. Uh, with the exception of uh, yeah definitely my definitely my favorite Harriet that we've ever seen I don't know I just I loved it I love uh, but I love Austin so if you're a fan of period pieces I think you definitely should give this one a shot it's very charming I'm just sitting here thinking to myself there are seven versions of this seven mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah Maybe not. I'm trying to think. We talked about Kate Beckinsdale. We talked about Gwyneth Paltrow. We talked about Clueless. We talked about the 2009 version. And we talked about, I guess it was only, never mind, strike that down. We talked about five versions. Sorry, five versions. I was going to say, it's like, how are there <laughs> seven in my lifetime? <laughs> five versions <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually yeah. i'm actually at this moment i'm actually reading wuthering heights by emily bronte i know uh-huh. that's probably not the same thing as something like jane austen but i'm slowly working my way into the period stuff nice yeah different tone for sure uh but uh but that's cool that you're diving into the classics it's always a good experience i think uh, so people should check out Emma. It's great. I loved it. I loved the music too. It was really good. The costumes were incredible. And uh, so what's your next pick? So my next pick is a documentary. And if anyone has followed us for any length of time, they'll probably know that I love sports movies and I also love sports documentaries. And, I've rec- and I'm going to be recommending another one here today. It's McEnroe and Borg, Fire and Ice. Uh, this This documentary tells the stories of two tennis players, John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg. And for a period in the late 1970s, they were the two greatest tennis players in the world. And every so often they would meet and they would just create utter magic with each other. The documentary does a great job of showing that Borg and McEnroe are two completely different people. Uh, Bjorn Borg is from Sweden. He's a very cool and calculating player. He will absolutely just, he'll work, he'll work his way through you through a scientific, through a scientific method kind of way. He, he re- resembles more of a scientist than a tennis player. Uh, 
Well, John McEnroe is more of a rock star. He is just going to blow you away with just constant, like just blow after blow. He gets in your face and in the faces of many a tennis umpire, as you'll learn in the documentary. And I can't exactly remember what year, what Wimbledon they did meet in, but it's often considered one of the greatest tennis matches of all time. I want to say it is the 1980 Wimbledon, but it's one of those it's one of those documentaries that I just thought was very well made and and for someone like me who has never watched a lick of like professional tennis, at least not at least not in a, like a sports bar or anything. I walked out of this one like, wow, this is actually very well done. And it was 1981. It was the 81 Wimbledon that is considered the greatest of all time. And seeing them both, like seeing them both, this was filmed in, I think, 2012, but seeing them in their relatively older ages and seeing that they're now friends, there's something about that that I just really liked, like seeing former rivals now actually becoming friends, like that just warms the soul. Yeah, I mean, I love 30 for 30 on ESPN and I like the HBO sports docs as well. I haven't seen this one, but I'm sure I will like it. And most of the time, it's you don't even have to be a sports fan to enjoy these documentaries. They're just interesting, interesting people to capture a moment of time. Uh, so I think that's a really good pick. I My next pick is also a documentary. Um, it's called Everything is Copy. And it's a documentary about Nora Ephron, who is a writer that I love. And the whole documentary was made by Nora Ephron's son, Benjamin Bernstein. And it it kind of, the idea is, is that, because I mean, most people know about Nora Ephron from her movies, uh, from You've Got Mail and Slippers in Seattle, when Harry Met Sally, uh, Julie and Julia, all these amazing movies that she did. But where she got her start was actually in writing essays and uh, as a newspaper per, uh, reporter. And uh, so she would write these essays and she has books of essays that are great. And uh, her, 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 probably her best one's called I, F- I Feel Bad About My Neck. And, and it's this book of essays about her, her life and growing older and, and her, uh, parenting and, and uh, she's just so witty and so funny. And so the idea is when everything is copy is that basically like anything that happens in life can be turned into, uh, into, in, into copy, into an essay, into uh, thinking about something, analyzing it, uh, have something to say about it. And if you think about something like you've got mail, uh, she, she turns something so simple like getting your Starbucks into a, into a little monologue about life and making decisions. And, and that's so funny and so true and everybody can relate to it. And, uh, and I think that that's what makes her writing so good. Even her quote unquote bad films still have those moments of, of truth that I think or that, that elevate them above other bad films. <laughs> I'm not saying they're good, but they have something there because her writing is just great and I love it. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that's a really uh, neat little documentary if you want to learn more about Nora and her writing and uh, about writing in general. I think uh, that you'll enjoy it. Do you know if this is an HBO documentary? 
I'm not sure actually. I I I actually randomly the first time that I saw it, I actually saw it on a plane. <laughs> oh, interesting. I saw that yeah, I saw that it was playing on the plane. I can't remember where I was even going. I was like, "Ooh, Nora Ephron documentary. That's so exciting." And Nora Ephron documentary, I'll take 50. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um I mean it is under HBO Docs, so it is claimed by them whether it was initially that way or not but it was purchased by them well i was i was going to say that hbo uh in terms of making documentaries about people normally does an excellent job i don't know if you've ever seen george harrison living in the material world uh Mm -mm. that one that one was very excellent i can't remember if that that was martin scorsese that directed that i was confusing that one with ron howard who did the beatles the touring years but uh, mm-hmm. but HBO no- does well. They just do excellent documentaries. Period. Yeah. Like whether it's sports or well, in this case, uh, about actors or screenwriters. Yeah. Very good. All right. What is your last choice? So my last choice is from 2011, and it is a movie that I don't think is necessarily amazing, but I think deserves a little bit more respect. And it's a movie called In Time. Uh, This was directed by Andrew Nichol, the gentleman who wrote and directed Gattaca, one of my all-time favorite movies. And it stars Justin Timberlake, Amanda Seyfried, uh, Killian Murphy, and Olivia Wilde. And it tells the story of a future in which there is no money. Time is money. Like, time is actual currency. Uh, the, The human race is genetically is genetically altered to stop aging after 25. And then after that, they have a year left to live. And so they have to beg, borrow, steal, and barter their way just to get just a little bit more time. It's literally like the phrase, time is money. Uh, Justin Timberlake plays a character named Will, who has a mom who's played by Olivia Wilde, who despite looking like Olivia Wilde, so smoking hot she is in her 50s but again genetically aging has stopped her to look perpetually 25 however she runs out of time and she dies and so he basically is like i'm going to just i'm going to try and tear this whole place down and he inadvertently meets this millionaire and i can't remember the name of the guy who plays him but he was oh matt bomber thank you imdb He's played by Matt Bomber, who is about 120 years old, if my math is right. But again, he looks 25 and is sick of living. So in his final wish, he gives Justin Timberlake all of his time, which is roughly about 200 years. And then he ends up killing himself. And so basically the movie kind of is like Gattaca, but in a bit of a criminal kind of way. Will basically kind of turns into like a time thief version of Robin Hood and he teams up with a girl named Sylvia played by Amanda Seyfried who is one of the privileged few she has like thousands of years like to live like she'll basically live forever. But she, she falls in love with Will and they together try and go and take everything down. Uh, When I first heard about this movie I was like Justin Timberlake in a movie what is this but Andrew Nichol makes really interesting movies about stuff that you would normally never really think about, like in Gattaca, how everything down to your basic like skin cells could be used against you. And he does the Gattaca approach, but for time in the case of in time. 
It's a very well-acted movie. Timberlake is a surprisingly good actor. Amanda Seyfried's good. I can't hate any movie with Killian Murphy. He's excellent in most of the things he's in. And whenever you see Olivia Wilde, she's good. And Matt Bomber's very few scenes are excellent. This is a movie that that criminally underperformed at the box office. And I think it's smarter than the average bear. I think everyone should give it a shot. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I'll have to pick this one when we do our next follow-up because I hadn't really heard a whole lot of good uh, things about this movie. And I'm not the biggest sci-fi fan in, in general. And so I kind of, I never saw it. And so, uh, but you've made a compelling case and I love Gattaca. So I, I, I'll have to give it a shot. That sounds good. Uh, all right. My last pick, I thought it was appropriate to pick something a little bit spooky uh, with Halloween uh, coming up again. So for my final choice, I picked one of my favorite haunted house movies that I've ever seen called The Others. And this is a tour de force by director and writer Alejandro Aminabar. Sorry if I say that wrong. Uh, but he was pretty incredible. He wrote, he directed it, and he even did the music. So it's kind of a one-man show, this movie. And it's about Nicole Kidman. She plays this woman who is in this, uh, this old uh, big uh, house. Her husband has left and she has uh to go he's her husband has left to go to war she has these two children and they are uh photo sensitive so they can't go they can only come out at night and uh so uh she's convinced that the house is haunted uh and uh the the movie does a really good job of creating atmosphere and tone and there is a big twist in this movie um, that you either kind of go with and have fun with or, you know, you don't like, but most people like it. Um, I think it's not dependent upon the twist as far as enjoyment. I think you could still have it not be there and still enjoy just the creepiness and the tone and Nicole Kidman's really, really, really good performance. Uh, and it's you know again one of those horror movies that's that's got underlying themes of of grief and loss and trauma and um, even uh, even marriage and war all those themes are in there in these children uh, and uh, plus it's just like a fun haunted house movie too and uh, so I love it I think it's it's really excellent it would probably be in my top 10 uh, horror movies, scary movies. Uh, it's more of a slow burn. It's not like a slasher movie or anything like that, but I love it. I think it's really great. Strangely enough, I, I was considering reviewing this movie for Scary Mania this year, but I ended up picking Saw instead. But oh, now, yeah. that, now, that I've, now that I've heard about it, because I had never seen it, and I was like, do I want to go with Saw, which I've seen before, or the others, which I haven't seen before? And it came down to the wire, so I was like, oh, "Go with what works." But now, now that now that you've recommended it, Rachel, I definitely have to see it. Yeah, I love it. I have actually reviewed it for Family Movie Night because it's PG thirteen. Uh, so if uh, people want more of my thoughts, uh, this was years ago that I did that. But if you want more of my thoughts, you can check that out. I'll put a 
put that in the description too. So it's a really good movie. So there we go. That is our suggestions for deeper cuts for hidden gems that you can watch on HBO Max. Let us know what you've been watching on HBO Max or any of the other streaming services. If you have suggestions for us, we'd love to hear in the comments section. And uh, thank you so much, Ryan, for doing this. I really appreciate it. And, and uh, where can people find you and your content? Uh, they can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at RyanCam20. And then, of course, there's my YouTube channel, uh, just simply RyanCam. Uh, Scary Mania is going to be wrapping up here in the next couple of days. Uh, today is a Monday, which means yesterday I released my episode for Silence of the Lambs. Today mm. is going to be my episode for Sleepy Hollow. And then, to, or no way, actually, it's going to be Event Horizon. Tomorrow is going to be Sleepy Hollow. And then I'm going to wrap things up with Saw, The Ring, uh, Don't mm. Breathe, and Hereditary. And then once Scary Mania is wrapped up, I'm going to go back full force into the AFI project with Midnight Cowboy and Intolerance and Lord of the Rings and just a bunch of great movies I'm going to be talking about. And then, of course, The Mandalorian drops in a wait this is going to be dropping friday so the mandalorian drops today actually so when this episode drops my review for the first episode of the mandalorian season two will be out so a lot of content coming y'all's way if you all haven't subscribed i i humbly ask you to please do i put a lot of time and effort into it i'm very proud of it and i hope you all come along for the ride with me Yes, please subscribe. You'll love it. It's really good. Uh, and you can follow me at Rachel's Reviews, all of your social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. And also make sure that you're following the Homeworkies podcast. We are going to be having a ton of content this week uh, with interviews and recaps and all kinds of fun stuff. So make sure that you are following us there and the preview show that we did. So tons going on over there. So thanks so much and uh, and please like and uh, like this video, subscribe to this channel and consider becoming a patron. We really appreciate our patrons so, so much. And then we also have our merch store, which has tons of festive designs. So check that out. And uh, thank you so much, everybody. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye, everyone. Bye.